Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I've got some great guests for you this hour. Uh, shortly, I'm going to have Ramana King on. You'll remember Ramana. She has been, uh, been a great guest over the uh, last couple of years with me here. She's a real estate expert, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Vancouver market, and hopefully we'll whip out our crystal balls and hopefully tell you what's going to happen in the GTA this year in 2018. Uh, a little bit later on, I'm gonna have Kevin Summers. He is the Chief Operating Officer of Royal Page Real Estate Services. And Kevin and I are gonna have a really good conversation about uh, how they've been tracking last year's results and really what they think 2018 is gonna look like. Um, but you know, I wanna talk about some of the things that happened this week, obviously in the marketplace. A lot of people now are going to have to adjust to the off-sea uh, changes in the stress test. So for those people that are out trying to buy a property, you now have to qualify at a higher mortgage rate. Again, this is something that was never in place for a five-year fixed mortgage, and now it has to happen. So there is going to be probably a slowdown to that. I'm going to ask my experts uh, a little bit more about it. but. Um, one of the things that, of course, uh, what we're seeing is there's going to be some tests that are thrown out because, as well, the Bank of Canada raised rates this week. That's right, quarter point, which means that everybody's paying a little bit more for their mortgages. Benjamin Tall weighed in on this, one, and he actually said, this is the most significant test the market has seen in recent years. Uh, if you remember, Benjamin Tall's been on the show before. He's CIBC Chief Deputy Chief Economist. And, um, you know, it's interesting because all these economists are actually looking at it saying, okay, how much, um, you know, how many factors can actually come into this market for it to still sustain itself? And we could be on that tipping point. And when we start measuring year-over-year -year results, I think that, uh, you know, the numbers just came out, of course, for December. December was a good a good increase from last year, uh, meaning 2016 to 2017, there was still a 5.7% increase year over year. Now that's really strong. It actually kind of picked up in December because everybody was coming in under the wire to make sure that they could get the get in before the stress test. But now we've got a lot more, uh, you know, of a marketplace to be dealing with. There's going to be a lot of, I, I think we're going to see some adjustments in some of the high-end homes. But the one market that we're pretty sure is going to stay strong is the condominium market. That's right. If you remember last week, I had Brad J. Lamb on with me, and uh, we were talking about the condominium market. He thinks that the uh, square footage price is going to keep going up. The other part that's driving the market, of course, is the millennials, and they're trying to get into their first property. The most affordable right now is the fact that we've got condominiums being built, and at the same time, you've got all sorts of amenities. You know, some of these condominiums are, are quite incredible. Uh, I would call them five-star resorts for some of them, but there's also one thing that to, to keep in mind. Basically, if we take a look at when buying a condominium, we're looking at boardwalk and park place. For those of you that have played Monopoly, and, and as a kid, I always played Monopoly, absolutely loved it. And boardwalk and park place right now for condominiums, normally most people are looking at south of Queen Street, you know, right in the, right in the hub there, entertainment area. Um, a lot of people are saying that that's where the big square footage price is going to come out. And we continue to see more condominiums being built. Some of them actually are exceeding a thousand dollars a square foot. Now that is a huge number. But what's going to happen if you're buying it for a investment? Are you going to be able to carry 
uh, with the rents. Now, the rents are up. Everybody knows it. We've been watching, and in some of these areas, the rents are exceeding $2,000 uh, per unit, even for a one-bedroom. But at the same time, if you push out to the outer markets, there is still some affordability. So there is, there's this real diverse group, and we talked about it all last year, that you know we saw multiple offers just absolutely being floored into certain areas in Toronto, and then we saw other areas where you know it was a little bit more subdued. So the condominium market, I don't think is gonna be any different this year. I think we're gonna see some real hot pockets. I think some of the developers that are going to come in that are able to close, because if you remember last year, we saw uh, probably, I think it was about 1,500 units that got yanked that were under uh, under contract actually with buyers. So this is the kind of thing that we've got to keep our eyes on. So as the boards all said, fourth quarter was relatively strong uh, for uh, for real estate, finishing off 2017. And of course, one of the big marketplaces, Montreal right now, they're seeing, I would say, a Toronto-like increase as 2016. And so right now, the hot market's Montreal. So if you're going to go throw a speculation to the wind and before they decide to put a foreign buyer tax in there, which I highly doubt they will, but if they do, then you want to get in before that. But right now, the Montreal market is probably one of the hottest markets in Canada. Vancouver did come out of 2017 really strong. We saw some decent increases there. Um, a little bit, uh, again, site-specific, uh, taking a look at certain neighborhoods, definitely really frothy, and other neighborhoods, not so much. So again, we've got to keep our eyes on it. Mind you, out in Vancouver or in the BC area, they keep trying to ban foreign ownership. A couple of the uh, party members there are saying, hey, listen, let's ban foreign ownership altogether. But they're being uh, pushed back saying, nope, you know what, we've got to keep ourselves open to a world marketplace. I think it would be uh, probably not a very good idea if they did it. I think that you have to be, if you're going to be a world-class city, you got to be able to allow people from all over the world to be able to purchase. Hey, one other thing I just uh, I, I saw this week in the news, Donald Trump has a positive effect on Canada's real estate. Wow. Um, you know, he didn't do so well when he did a development here. So how he has a positive effect, they're breaking it down saying that, you know, there's uh, lots of reasons for Donald Trump, um, you know, to have a positive effect on Toronto. I'm not even going to get into it. Um, of course, condos growing in popularity out in Mississauga. Yep, that's, uh, you know, we, we saw a big buildup and uh, it's going to be big, big development coming uh, right near the Square One corridor there. And uh, I believe there's about 10,000 units that are going to be added over the next uh, few years. So you're going to watch, if you're looking for something brand new and you don't want to be buying in the downtown core, keep your eyes out for Mississauga because they've got a lot that's going to be developed there. Other than that, it looks like everybody's saying that the slowdown is going to be affected by interest rates. And so here's my numbers that I'm going to give everybody. I think that we are going to see a year over year, and you can quote me, and you know what, maybe we can follow up come April or May, but I think we're going to start seeing year over year declines for January, February, March, and into partial of April. This is where everybody was using the benchmark. At the middle of April, the price point there was the benchmark for all 2017 real estate. Everybody said, you know, taking a look at October's market, it was down 18% from its peak in April. Well, 
if we're going to use that analogy, then we're going to have to start looking at year over year soon. And when we do, I think that the March market to April market, be really surprised if it does not have a decrease. I'd be surprised if there's a break even, because that means that we're going to have to put the pedal to the metal and see some real increases. I don't think the interest rates are going to allow us to do that. But you know what? I think maybe we should bring in my first guest, and that is Miss Romana King. You've heard her right here on Simply Real Estate numerous times, always a fabulous guest, author, editor, real estate expert, and Romana, welcome back. Hello, how are you? I'm good. You know, um, I think you and I can, uh, you and I are going to have some fun today because, uh, you know, we're going to we're gonna put on our crystal ball hats and see if we can, <laughs> so you and I can, uh, at the end of the year, go back and say, what did you think? Did we do okay? So let's uh, let's start out in your neck of the woods there, out in British Columbia, in the Vancouver area. I understand that the the market is still doing exceptionally well. It is. I mean, we have a across the Vancouver area, we have about a 22% uh, monthly price change. Um, so that means that you know, on average, prices are going up about a you know, uh, 22%, and that's that's a lot. That's a lot for a market that's supposed to be slowing. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you are you finding that um, there's you know more condos being sold now than anything else? I mean, you know, you you don't get to Toronto in a minute, but um, are we are you finding that there's one one pocket more popular than others? Well, from our statistics, we're finding that um, four-bedroom homes, a three-bedroom townhouses, and believe it or not, three-bedroom or studio condos are probably the popular um, hotspots in the Vancouver area. I think this is what that signals. I mean, aside from the studio, I think that what that really signals is there are families out there that are looking to move up. They've waited long enough. They're realizing, you know what, we got to get in to that move on up house before it gets really bad. So you saw you saw the big run up in December, you know, um, and so, you know, very consistent, very strong. Do you think some of the heat was coming in because of the new off-sea rules? Absolutely, and I think that's what's, what we're seeing is we're seeing a spike in prices because there was a lot of frothy activity. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see, and then this again is you know crystal ball gazing, we're probably going to see Vancouver leveling off. We did see that last year. It started to level off a little bit. We're still you know, trending upwards, uh, but the price spikes weren't as significant. Uh, but with the mortgage stress test, people were rushing to get in. They were certainly rushing to get into that higher price point, that bigger house, before they lost their buying, their purchasing power because of the mortgage stress test. Right. And um, so now, if we take if we take a look at the the Vancouver market, um, you know, you've got you've still got the rumors of foreign buyers coming back into your marketplace, even though they have the foreign buyer tax. Is, is it still the case or are we finding that this is just more basically interprovincial, you know, people that are just moving up? Um, I think the bulk of the market, and, and this occurred before we had the tax and after we have the tax, the bulk of the market are domestic buyers, people that are living in B.C., moving to B.C. for job opportunities from other parts in Canada, and they're purchasing. The, the problem with foreign buyers is it's uh, usually it's typically very wealthy people with lots of money that can come in and really spike the prices in a certain segment. Um, so they spike the prices in the you know the one million to two million dollar range at one point, right. and now they're in the, the the higher you know selling ranges, and so that that hurts people that are competing for those segments. 
Um, it hurts people when they want to, you know, live in an urban centre uh, and they have to pay 25% more for that house than they did a year ago. Right. Um, folks, if you're just tuning in, I've got Romana King with me and uh, we're going to go to a quick break. But when we come back, um, I want to talk more about 2018 off sea, the new Bank of Canada, you know, the rate going up. Um, so Romana, if you can stay put, we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Romana King. Uh, she is an author, editor, real estate expert, and also a fabulous guest. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about the Vancouver market and how it's, you know, it's had a really nice rebound. Romana, now we come to the Toronto market and, you know, the, the recent stats said that, you know, we did have an escalation in December. A lot of this probably could be attributed to everybody trying to get in under the wire with the new Aussie ruling. And folks, if you don't know what that is, it means that there is a new stress test in place for a five-year fixed mortgage. And you actually have to qualify for 2% above the actual rate that you're getting. So let's say you get a 3.7% uh, interest rate, you have to qualify at 5.7%. So Ramana, now that we take a look at Toronto, um, you know, we, we've, we've definitely, we, we saw the cycle down, you know, it started cooling off a little, even though prices year over year were just kind of edging above for the fall market. What do you think? We're, we're, we're coming into, you know, some uncharted territory. We had big rises January, February, and March 2017. Do you think we're going to start feeling a little bit of a downward turn and people are going to be going backwards? Absolutely. I think your your crystal ball gazing is absolutely accurate. I would definitely agree with that. I think that the run-up in the Toronto market, it was slowing. We saw the numbers. We knew that in summer of 2017, the numbers were slowing. We had a lot of people, and I would say a lot of it, I would say a portion of it was driven by speculators, builders, small builders, flippers uh, that had gotten into the market. They were rushing to get their inventory on the market before the market really took a, a dive. Um, and so you had a rush of listings on the market across the GTA and people slowing down. They were just, there were, weren't as many activity. There wasn't as much, as much activity. There weren't as many buyers. So in 2017, in the summer, we saw a slowdown. And then you have the announcement of the new mortgage stress test. And then you have, in July and September, rate increases to the bank's, uh, central bank's overnight rate. And of course, you know, the work two worked, you know, in unison and at, at one point opposite to one another. So the mortgage stress test was going to take your purchasing power off the table in 2018. So people rushed into the market. Um, but the rise in interest rates also takes purchase power. So people were rushing at the end of 2017. I think we're going to feel a bit of a hiccup, a bit of a, a grind downwards um, until we hit the spring market. The spring market in Toronto is really going to dictate how the rest of the year is going to go. I don't think it's going to be such a vast plummet downwards that the spring market won't occur. But um, I think that, you know, if it does blip upwards, it'll blip up to, you know, where the 2017 December levels are and then go back down again. We were witnessing a slowing down of the Toronto market in 2017. I don't think that's going to change in 2018. You know, you and I talked in depth about uh, the situation when they put in the, um, the, the I guess the new rules back in the spring and how some of it probably was too aggressive for the marketplace at the time and that it probably wasn't necessary to put in all of them because the market itself was already kind of at that crescendo very similar to the year before in the Vancouver market in that May market before they put in the stress test in uh, sorry the um, the foreign buyer tax in August 
And so we already saw the Vancouver market kind of sputtering a little. Toronto was there. They all of a sudden they put the you know Bigfoot on their everybody's throat. You know, let's let's control the market because that's what we're going to do for everybody. You get the two interest rate uh, hikes, and now you know uh, this past week we've got another one. Um, is it just too much for a market? I mean, if if the market stabilizes and let's say it just draws to a you know a parallel market. Um, I, I would deem that a success. You know, mm -hmm. I, I would look at that and say, hey, listen, wow, that is awesome. Because all these factors, you know, if you if you pile them all on, it's it's been, a, you know, a huge attempt by so many different, you know, um, avenues to control a market. Absolutely. I mean, this is where you get governments coming in and trying to, you know, dictate market forces. And we've seen We've had some success over the last few decades over that in various parts of the world, and we've had some failures on that. Um, I, think, I think you're right. I think everyone's goal, whether it be the government regulators, it be the bankers, it be the homeowners, everyone's goal is that we'd like to see the market cool down to a balanced market. We all want – even – I mean people sort of harp on real estate agents and how they always want frothy markets. You talk to anyone that's in real estate long term, and they'll say what I'd like to see is a balanced market. Why? Because it's sustained, stable, predictable growth. And if you want to – you know, make money, you want to invest smartly, you want sustained, stable, predictable growth. So if we could balance it out so that we can just sort of cool the market down in the hottest markets in Toronto and Vancouver and then the rest of the, uh, the country is not impacted in a negative way, we've done our jobs. And I think that the Bank of Canada is really, that's what they're signaling. They're saying, listen, we are raising our rates. We all knew this was coming, but we are really paying attention to that household debt. That's what we're really worried about. That household debt is a huge, massive problem for us, and we need to make pay attention and make sure that anything that we do is not going to impact the, the economy negatively because we hurt this household debt problem well i um last week i had brad j lamb on you'll remember that name of course yes and you know he's a condo developer here in the gta market and he was he was you know very upfront about saying you know the condominium market will continue to go up square footage prices will continue to go up in the gta because there's really nothing else for people to be buying you yes. know, but at the same time, you know, the government is making it harder and harder for these developers to build. So it's going to do the opposite effect and make the prices go up. Do, do you yes. agree with that? Oh, yeah. I, I think that I think, you know, like any multifaceted problem, people are trying to attack it on the outskirts and don't really realize how entwined this is. So you've got these rental crisis issues where we don't have enough purpose-built rentals. So they're trying to dictate how these purpose-built rentals should be built without providing incentives. We had, you know, in the 1980s, we had a problem like this. We provided an incentive. We said, listen, anything that's new-built will not be subject to um, rental uh, requirements. So you, you, can't, you don't have to cap your rental rates when you increase right. your rental rates. We, we got an influx of purpose-built rentals. Now we've changed that rule. What has happened? We've already got condo developers that were building pr purpose-built uh, rentals switch. They don't want to build a purpose-built. Why? There's no market incentive. They're not going to make money. In the end, we have to be aware that we're working with market players. They're, they're pro they have a profit uh, dr drive, and they should. They have shareholders, investors that expect them to earn a profit. That doesn't mean on the backs of people or hurt people. It just We need to understand that. So I, I think that you know Brad is an, uh, he's well-respected in the Toronto and the Canadian market for condos. I think he's absolutely accurate. I've talked to other developers. I've talked to the, uh, the CEO of the Canadian Home Builders Association this year, and, 
and he and I had a, a long conversation about how this is going to be the year of the condo, multifamily uh, residences. We are going to see a huge, huge push uh, by buyers because that's the affordable price point. Um, it makes more sense for developers to build these because there's more density in the area uh, and they are able to earn a profit and provide homes. I think the big stumbling block right now is actually planning. I think planners and and some, some you know, not in my backyard activism is really preventing our cities from densifying in a manner that needs to happen if we're going to sustain, you know, the growth that is required in order to, to be world-class cities. Yeah. No, you know what? I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I think that uh, the government is going to have to wrap their heads around, you know, freeing up the builders to be able to, you know, offset, A, the lack of inventory that's out there and, and, and realize this is this is a positive thing. The more builders you get to build, the, the, the prices will actually come down a little because you don't have mm-hmm. as much competition you don't you know when, when it trickles into the market you know the prices go through the roof if you could just put a you know whack of inventory on the market guess what it's going to it's going to drop the prices become more affordable and a lot easier so and you've got uh, you've got individuals that are just worried about you know the next election and so i know of a place in north vancouver and you know developers have been working for years to put you know dense densified multifamily residences in this area and all the single-family home er- uh, residents in the area kiboshed the plan. So they've spent three, four years investing in this plot of land and the developers are going to walk away. Why? Because they just can't densify in a manner that makes it profitable for them. What happens? We all lose. Prices in North Vancouver are going to remain very high. Yeah, well, uh, listen, Romano, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me today and we'll definitely stay in touch. Thank you so much, Todd. Thank you so much. That was Romana King. And folks, when I come back, I've got Kevin Summers. He's the Chief Operating Officer of Royal LePage. So stay with me. I'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest is Mr. Kevin Summers. He is the Chief Operating Officer of Royal LePage Real Estate Services. And uh, he oversees uh, all the corporate brokerages uh, nationwide. And um, Kevin, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. You know, it's interesting because I've had some of your colleagues on the show and all always wonderful chats we uh, we get to talk about re- what is truly going on in the real estate world again uh, you know we just finished up 2017 if you were to recap 2017 was it what you expected it to be or was it just I mean it was a real volatile market it was uh, I would say it was somewhat what we expected in that we knew there was change coming but it's almost impossible to ever time it exactly right. so uh, heading into the year we we anticipated some kind of a correction uh, because the levels of ongoing price increases just were unsustainable sure. as we entered into 2017 uh, you know in a perfect world we would have loved for the year to just carry on the way it was from a revenue generation point of view but uh, from a healthy market standpoint it's a good thing that uh, that it essentially became a tale of two markets you know, the spring market up until the end of April and then a very dramatic, dramatically different story after that. You know, I've, I've asked quite a few people this and, um, when, when the provincial government, of course, implemented their, their measures, (laughs) I'll, I'll use that term lightly here. Um, (laughs) you know, when they decided to put, to put their, uh, their foot on everybody's throat is a better way to say it. Um, you know, do you, do you think it was smart of them to intervene? Because, you know, I've, uh, I've had a few people weigh in on it. I want your take on this, is the fact that, you know, we had two increases, obviously, uh, in the Bank of Canada. Right. Uh, you and I can talk about the one that just happened this week as well. But then taking a look at it, we had, um, we also had, you know, the, the change in the mortgage rules coming through. So as of January 1, 
Do you think that it was really necessary for them to come after the foreign buyers? I mean, you know, I, I read the Royal LePage reports. There wasn't ma as many foreign buyers as everybody was led to believe. Right. Uh, you know, generally speaking, I think the, the intent of um, controlling the market or, or, or um, containing it a little bit, uh, not bad intent, but I think a little misdirected in terms of some of the initiatives that compromised the or that comprised the fair housing initiative back in May. Right. Uh, you cited the foreign buyer component specifically, Todd, and you know the Toronto Real Estate Board, among others. Um, all of their research indicated that foreign buyers really were not uh, a driving consideration for the market overall. Sure, there are certain pockets within the GTA where foreign buying was more prevalent. Uh, but, you know, Treb's research indicated, as an example, heading into 2017, uh, that although there were, was somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, call it 5% foreign buyer interest in the GTA overall, that the vast majority of those foreign buyers were actually buying with the intent to personally occupy and, and take up permanent residence. Yeah. So this is very different than sort of the... the um, the looming speculation cloud that uh, that you know drove the changes in the BC market, as an example, where I think the foreign buyer component was a little bit more serious uh, right. as a as a measure of the market. So, uh, you know, long story short, I think um, some control or some um, efforts to try and uh, balance the market a little bit uh, versus the fever pitch that it was running at, not a bad thing. Sure, uh, but perhaps a little bit misdirected in terms of the actual construct. Yeah, you know when I um, when I took a look at the numbers, and you know we always try to break it down and, and and make some sense of it. With these foreign buyers, they're not flipping the properties; yeah, they're holding them. And you know some people will say, well, they're coming in to speculate so they can make money. They're actually not. They're not reaping the reward by hanging on to it for three or four years and flipping it. They're actually bringing family members over. Some of them are already here. Maybe they don't have their Canadian citizenship yet. You know, I found uh, I found it interesting because I had a few realtors talk to me about it, and they said, you know, as soon as and 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 unfortunately, uh, you know, the Asian buyers were the ones that were being targeted, saying they're the foreign buyers. But these people were actually. Canadian citizens working in Canada, but they'd show up in a neighborhood and they say, look, it's a foreign buyer. Right. You know, and so I think there was a big misperception of foreign buyers in the GTA market in comparison to Vancouver, because it could, you could track Vancouver pretty strongly to say, listen, there was a lot of foreign buyers, they were coming in, they were, you know, I, I'm not going to say they're speculating because they also have not been selling their properties. But on top of this, though, we keep looking at the marketplace and now, you know, even though, you know, the market is now, you know, readjusting itself a little, um, they're still buying. I would say no question. There's, uh, you know, there's no comparison in terms of the, the speculative foreign buyer component in the GBA market versus the GTA. Uh, and they are, the, for, you know, for the most part, they're buying to hold. You also raise a great point, Todd, in terms of the optics, you know, the, the, the uneducated optics yeah. Yeah, of what a foreign buyer actually is. And, you know, just because someone's of Asian descent or working with an Asian representative doesn't mean that they're a foreign buyer at all. Actually, a lot of these folks have been around for generations. Sure. Um, and even if they're newer to Canada, like I said, the, the primary drivers in terms of their purchase activity were permanent residents, uh, finding homes for kids who yeah. were, who were pursuing their education. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, again, not, I think, the most um, accurately directed component, perhaps, of the fair housing measures. Sure. Um, but there, there was um, probably a, a good, it probably was a good time for some measure of balance yeah. to enter the marketplace. And essentially, despite um, the misfire, if you will, in terms of some of the components, potentially, 
that's exactly what happened. You know, it, it ended up being the catalyst for a bit of a reset psychologically yeah. for the, the consumer in the well, marketplace. I'm glad you brought up psychologically because um, that was one of the things uh, back in the fall I had Benjamin Tall on with me. And you know, one of the comments he meant, uh, made was the fact that it was a real psychological hit when they put in the foreign buyer tax that everybody said, okay, now somebody's not going to be running at my house with a suitcase full of money. So again, all of a sudden, people that were going to list their house turned around and said, no, you know what, I'm not going to list my house now because there's not that foreign buyer that could possibly push me into these multiple offer scenarios. And, you know, watching the market, you know, when we when we kind of watched that peak of that April, May-ish, you know, beginning of May market where if all of a sudden it started to peter out and then you watched your slow decline but it wasn't a huge necessarily from the price perspective, but of course all the headlines of the newspapers were saying markets off by 40%. Well, you and I both know if you turn around and I said to you, hey, Kevin, the market's down by 40%, you're going to sit there and say my price is down by 40%. Right. Do you find that a lot of the, there's a lot of misrepresentation out there in, in the headlines? Because it really, it, I don't know if it's just trying to, I was going to say sell newspapers, but they're not doing that much anymore. But the truth is, is that it's kind of that fear factor. It is. And, and you know, unfortunately, the reality sustains that bad news is, is uh, more sellable than good news most sure. of the time. Um, and numbers are a tricky thing. You can do pretty much anything you want with them. But the reality that we found is in uh, the back half of the year, while we've seen some corrections in prices, within the GTA, they've ranged from, call it the 4 to 10% range. Right. And it would appear based on, if you look at Treb's house price index as an example, uh, for various uh, key, key components, key housing types, sure. over the last three to six months, it would appear that a lot of that correction is dissipating and it has largely self-solved. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're hitting prices that are still in excess of what they were year on over year, year, over year uh, yeah. December versus December 16, um, and still starting to escalate again in many areas. So it's yeah. also a bit of a tale of two markets in terms of the 905 having escalated um, perhaps disproportionately fast in the run-up to April. Sure. And so the adjustments there logically being a little bit more dramatic than they are in the center core of Toronto. You know, it remains all about supply and demand and the reality that, uh, you know, there, there is no one market. The, even within the GTA, you're talking about a tale of hundreds of different sub-markets sure. and, and ca uh, categories of products. So... Um, 40% is, is, you know, highly sensationalized. Um, and the challenge for the poor consumer is, um, whether they're on the selling or the buying side, what do you make of all of this? You know, right. and we experienced this back in 08 with, uh, uh, with the worldwide economic, uh, crisis where, you know, the market took a pause for four to six months sure. and it literally takes a good half year for sellers to wrap their heads around the new reality of what their home is actually worth versus what their neighbor might have gotten at the ultimate peak. Um, and buyers in turn to realize, thankfully, uh, in our case, uh, that the sky has not fallen. And, you know, while there, there might be some sense of short-term, more reasonable price available than perhaps what was there in the peak in April, that the bottom certainly hasn't fallen out. Yeah, interesting. Um, I'm, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about uh, 2018. I want to talk about the uh, Bank of Canada, of course. 
the numbers that people are going to see um, probably in the next three months. That's where the shock, I believe, is going to come down. So, folks, um, I have Chief Operating Officer of Royal LePage Real Estate Services with me, Kevin Summers. When we come back, we're going to break down 2018. You don't want to miss this. And if you do, remember, you can go to our website at Newstalk 1010. Click on the show and you can go to the SoundCloud and you can uh, listen to it. So when I come back, I've got more with Kevin Summers. Stay with me. I'll be right back. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest right now is Mr. Kevin Summers. He is the Chief Operating Officer of Royal LePage Real Estate Services. Um, if you don't know the name, uh, then you might be under a rock. Uh, sorry, when it comes down to Royal LePage. Again, uh, Kevin, how many, how many agents, by the way, does Royal LePage have in Canada now? Just on the cusp of 18,000. 18,000. Wow. That's a lot, a lot of agents. So, um, and, and again, uh, it, the, the company's been around forever. Uh, you 105 know, years. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. So uh, just before the break, you and I were breaking down 2017. Um, as I mentioned just before we did go to the break, I, I, I do want to talk about 2018. I want, I want people to understand the shock now. So when it actually happens, it's not going to be a shock. You know, we had the biggest run up in 2017 in January, February, and March. We just saw screaming increases. And once, uh, once the April rolled around, everybody used the April peak market as the benchmark for the rest of the year. Everybody kept measuring against the peak market. And, and instead of doing a year-over-year -year analysis, so when, when you and I talk about numbers of, let's say, July uh, 2016 to 2017, year-over-year, year, there was still an increase in value. So people that had purchased the year before or had you know, been taking a look at the numbers the year before, they had not lost any money on paper. Right. And again, remember, you never lose uh, you, ne you never lose money until you sell, right? So at the end of the day, you know they they felt this adjustment in, as far as their value goes. But now, we, you and I are about to step into a market where we're going to watch some numbers. I think that are going to scare some people because with a run up in January and February and March and into April last year, you know, with that crazy heated market, do you think that we're going to have like an offset? of 10 or 15 percent year over year to today's market versus last year? Uh, year on year we're looking at roughly about a seven percent increase for 2018 in price right. by the time the year is said and done right compared to 12 almost 13 percent 2017 versus 2016 okay so uh, um, still growth still health much more healthy frankly long-term price growth that's in right. line with the historical averages for for real estate in Toronto and in Canada overall uh, but in the Toronto board, you know, a, a single digit, it's been a while since we've had that kind of, of more moderate escalation in price. And that's a healthy thing. That's a good sure. thing. Because the, uh, again, the, the kind of escalation that we were seeing in pretty much every segment of the market in the Toronto Real Estate Board in the first half of, of 2017, or at least the, the major portion of that, yeah. was just ridiculous 30 plus point unsustainable year over year increases. So if you, if you took though, and, and here's, here's my question, at the end of April in 2017, you took the, the average price and then you turn around and you look at it, let's say at the end of November, and technically they're saying from that, from that point, they're off about 18%. Yep. Okay. That's not a year over year number. No. Do you, can you say that March 2018 compared to March 2017, could you see an increased number there? Because that means we've got a lot of catch up to do 
over the next couple of months to get up and above because you know we're dealing with our averages you know you know how the scale works right, it, right. It's a, you know that, that's that's a bit of an uphill climb it is I don't have a crystal ball for the spring market unfortunately I wish right. I did uh, but you know there's a couple things that have come into play the the most recent Bank of Canada increase among them yesterday sure. uh, the new OSFI regulations in Ontario requiring the stress test even for uninsured mortgages yep. uh, I think those things are gonna help conspire to keep price increases much more moderate in right. the first half of the year at least okay. um, although you know when you look at the one month three month and six month uh, relative increase or de decrease uh, in the house price index on the Toronto Real Estate Board for various segments in different pockets of the city, sure. there is evidence of recovery starting in the price point. So the numbers that were lost on yeah. a six-month basis, if you will, sure. uh, on a three- and a one-month basis, those comparative numbers are shrinking. So we're starting to recover some of the ground that was lost yep. uh, between April and call it December. Yep. Um, but you know, it remains to be seen in terms of Consumer psychology is going to play so much into this relative to um, people adjusting to the new norm, whether yep. that be on the selling side in terms of what their home is actually worth versus what their neighbor might have gotten across the road right. eight months ago. And for buyers wrestling with uh, the new OSFI regulations, the stress test, and just your personal affordability, which really is the most important thing when it comes right down to it. Yeah, of course. You know, um, let's let's go backwards a little. When we talk about the Bank of Canada raising rates, you know, there's the potential, they say, of uh, maybe two more increases this year. Right. They're doubtful on the third one. Um, the truth, the truth be told, is that you know they're also worried a little bit about NAFTA right. and how it could have an adverse effect to our economy. You know, every everything was coming up roses for a little while, so you know they decided, hey, listen, we're going to bump it up. Um, when when we start talking about mortgages, you know, right now you're still it still has a three in front of it if you're looking for a five year fixed. You know, being in the industry for so long, you know, I remember mortgages at 14, 18, you know, percent. I mean, you know, 3.8 3 or 3.7 to, to me still is good money. Absolutely. But now we've got the offsea uh, situation, okay? So there's there's like two negative, I, and I don't mean to say negative in, in the fact to, that it's, you know, it is negative. It's, it's actually a positive thing in, in a lot of cases. But for buyers now, Okay, we've now shrunk the amount that they can afford, yep. okay, with offsee because of the stress test. And on top of that, everything's going to cost them a little bit more. So now that's even going to pull them back a little bit more right. from, let's say, a year ago. And for those of you that could have gone into the market a year ago, I bet you you're kicking yourselves down because there's a few things that are changing. You know, maybe you'll get a better deal, but it's going to be a little harder for you to qualify. Is this going to, you know, and, and I do ask for a crystal ball slightly because, you know, your your firm is on top of all the trends, all the numbers. You get, I mean, I read your reports. You yeah. know, I, I, as soon as they come out, they're awesome. And at the end of the day, when we take a look and analyze some of these numbers, you know, um, instead of somebody affording seven hundred thousand, they're now going to be dropping down to five fifty. Right. Okay. Now, uh, with with the new increase in the rates, maybe that's now going to be five hundred. So the affordability factor is going to be, you know, it, it drops down. Can we see buyers that are going to, uh, sorry, sellers that are actually going to meet the buyers down on the bottom? Eventually, some of them will, for sure. Um, you know, largely depending on personal uh, personal motivation. So sure. death, birth, you know, additional job change, job change yeah. exactly, transfer, you name it. Um, and that ultimately, those those um, people who have to sell, frankly, on the on the leading edge of of the new reality, set set the new bar mm -hmm. in terms of where the price points likely will follow. Um, you know, we anticipate that the first half of the year is going to have some challenges for sure, sure. with the onset of OSFI. Uh, 
but the reality is, when you keep in mind, we're talking about quarter point increases. So if you take a look at the average Treb house price at the end of, uh, at the end of 2017 of call it eight hundred twenty thousand dollars, twenty percent down payment, the differential in terms of the mortgage for the balance of that with a quarter point increase is only yeah. about a hundred dollars a month. Yeah, of course. So the bigger challenge is. I think buyers adjusting their expectations to their new affordability threshold period yeah, right. rather than necessarily the, the direct impact of any one mortgage increase. What it will also do is, you know, this is probably the time where a lot of folks who have been um, doing just fine, thank you very much, with a variable rate product or with a, a, mm -hmm. a larger line of credit component that's sure. more vulnerable, both of which are more vulnerable to yep. changes in, in the Bank of Canada rates. Yeah. Um, maybe it's time to reconsider. You know, again, it's a very personal situation based on, on your circumstance, and, um, and that's, that's what often gets lost in the shuffle in terms of these broad-reaching statements that, uh, you know, the media and are inclined to talk about. Um, but with $100, if you will, in that average price scenario for a 20% down mortgage with every, you know, quarter-point increase in, sure. in posted rates, um, it does get a little tougher, and, and so in many cases, it becomes a case not so much of being frozen out of the market, but choosing or managing your expectations and, yeah. and realizing what affordability looks like for you now versus what it might have a year ago. Yep. So, um, folks, if you're just tuning in, I've got Kevin Summers with me. He's the Chief Operating Officer of Royal LePage. And, Kevin, uh, one of the things that we did... And, and, and I actually like the market slowing down for this reason and this, you know, major part of this reason would be the fact that offers now can have conditions back in them. Yes. You know, the, the, the whole idea of the multiple offer is wonderful when you're a vendor sitting back licking your chops, but the buyers were throwing caution to the wind. They're coming in firm on offers, not necessarily knowing if they can afford it financially, but more importantly, the home inspections. Okay, they, you know, that went by the wayside for, for quite a while. And now that it's back in, I just think it creates more stability for the entire transaction. What do you think? I agree with you. Uh, you know, the more savvy agents, frankly, even in the height of the, uh, the multiple offer frenzies in central Toronto, call that the pinnacle, if you will, back last spring, uh, were undertaking measures to still try and afford a measure of uh, diligence mm -hmm. to prospective buyers on, on their listings sure. um, by virtue of pre-inspecting homes. So there were methodologies available that yep. helped offset some of that craziness. But yeah, the truth is a lot of buyers were put in a situation where, um, you know, if you weren't firm and you didn't have a draft for a significant down, uh, deposit, deposit yeah. on the night of offer, uh, you just weren't in competition anymore. Um, so I think, I think it's better when there's, there's a little bit more balance in the market that allows for some diligence on the, the part of buyers uh, to exercise appropriate finance diligence, to exercise appropriate diligence relative to home inspections. Um, I, I welcome that, frankly, and I think, I think the vast majority of realtors do too because it just it makes for um, a smoother transaction and, and at the end of the day, happier consumers on both sides. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I always say this and, and my listeners know this, I am a big believer in the professional agent, you know, the people that do it full-time, the experience. Um, you know, I always encourage people to make sure that those are the people that are, they are having represent them because they, they live and breathe it every single day and, and dealing with professional agents, they know that, you know, protecting the individual party at all times is probably one of the most important things that they can ever do. Absolutely. Well, um, what, uh, just briefly, um, so if we were to take a look at uh, 2018, just a, a quick recap, what do you think we're going to end up with near, near the end of the year? Well, we're looking at um, about a 7% increase year over year by mm -hmm. then. Uh, volumes perhaps off, 
a little bit down versus what they were in 2017. Yep. And you know, it's interesting, just for context, 2017 was still the fourth best year ever in the Toronto Real Estate Board sure. relative to transaction count. So yep. it's it's not like there was a dearth of activity by any means, right. um, just off the arguably craziness of, of 2016. Sure. Uh, we're roughly pacing at about 10 months behind the correction in Vancouver and seeing a very similar trend. Yep. And the good news in Vancouver is that uh, the market's picking up speed again. But what has happened, I would say probably the, the single biggest shift that we're going to see in 18 in terms of makeup of the market composition, if you will, of the nature of transactions is a shift to affordability that is commensurate with a shift to condo becoming much more prevalent. Right. Um, you know, uh, Toronto, not unlike most major developed e economies or economic centers, uh, has become a, a condo city. Yeah. And uh, that evolution is, is going to continue, absolutely. You know, you look at um, three major factors that are, are going to continue to underpin the health, I think, uh, fundamentally of the real estate market in the GTA uh, over 2018 and, and very likely beyond. And those are peak millennials, which we cited, you know, last year in a, in a special report. Uh, and that's the single largest population cohort, by the way, um, since the baby boom. Sure. Uh, and those are folks that are right now between 25 and 30 years old mm -hmm. and are overwhelmingly seeing purchasing and owning a house as a good investment and as something that they want to do. In fact, 30% of them have already taken that leap, despite the affordability concerns and the crazy year-over-year -year appreciation that we've experienced in the last couple of years. Those folks are going to be still searching the balance of them for their first home in the next three to five years. Uh, and many of them, frankly, are going to be in a position where they start having their first child and are looking at their first move-up property. Sure. And in a number of cases, uh, as a combination of overall affordably, affordability and the, the OSFI stress test, uh, increasingly those are going to be, there's, a good, there's going to be a huge demand for livable condos. Yep. Uh, you know, in pretty much every other major developed center uh, in, in the world, um, there's there's a real legacy of purpose-built, larger family style, sure. whether it's condos, co-ops, or even rental apartments. Yep. We, uh, we're lagging behind in that regard in Toronto, and there's a real development opportunity there, I think, for the next decade to meet that demand. Sure. Um, increasingly, you know, uh, the, the challenge as well with, uh, with the green belt, uh, it's not like we're making any more land. No. <laughs> so, you know, we've got to go up versus out. And... Um, I think th that limitation of land coupled with the affordability, uh, again, is going to keep driving that livable condo opportunity uh, for those peak millennials. The other two factors that I think are going to continue to drive a healthy market are uh, just immigration. Uh, you know, Canada is fortunate to have um, roughly 300,000 immigrants on an annualized basis currently pacing. Uh, interesting to note that uh, the U.S. is going the other way. Uh, you know, in a market where um, their economy is booming and they need more people to fill the jobs, sure. they're actually going in the opposite direction from a legislative point of view. And despite the fact that the U.S. market and, and the population is 10 times our size, they're only going to bring in three times the amount of immigrants in 2018. Yeah. So that's not a healthy equation for the U.S., whereas here I think immigration is going to continue to be a huge driver of uh, success and growth in the real estate market for us. The third one for, for places like uh, Toronto and Vancouver, and, and to a lesser extent, but increasingly so, uh, which is a bit of a new story as well, Montreal, um, is that there's interprovincial migration to yep. the major centers uh, from more rural areas and or from other provincial centers just because there's so much economic growth and opportunity. Uh, you know, with record 42-year unemployment uh, currently uh, and economies being led by BC followed closely by, by uh, Ontario in terms of their growth, um, those are really the three key drivers that I think are going to make for 
albeit perhaps not a record market in 2018 and maybe a more reasonable market, still a very healthy real estate market. Once the consumers have totally finished the psychological play in terms of getting their heads around the new reality. Sure. Excellent. Listen, Kevin, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. I appreciate it. And we'll definitely have to have you back later in the year so we can analyze the numbers. Thanks very much. Thank you. Folks, that was Mr. Kevin Summers. And I also would like to thank Romana King for, uh, for being on earlier in the show. I want to thank Andre and Ian for keeping it simple and making it simple for me every single week. And I also want to thank you for tuning in. Remember, I'm going to be back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.